0: I like big butts and I cannot lie. You other brothers can't deny. Well, welcome to Prodigal Church. Uh, We start a brand new series today called The Big Butts of the Bible. And each week throughout this series, we're going to look at some passages of Scripture that have this specific conjunction, but. It's a conjunction of contrast. It is a conjunction of change. And it is a conjunction of courage. And the series is not about having a lot of junk in the trunk. Rather, it is about having a lot of function in this one conjunction, okay? But before we dive in, what an amazing time we had celebrating the resurrection of the Son of God last week at our Easter services. Uh, Thank you so much for attending. Thank you so much for all of you who served. You are a great blessing. And lastly, if you are newer to Prodigal Church and you're watching this before our 10 a.m. local service... We have Discover Prodigal, which happens right after the service today uh, in the room next door to it, and it's a chance to ask questions, meet the staff, hear our vision, hear a bit of our story, and it's just a greater way to get connected to our church. We hope that you'll join us. Oh, and there's food. Uh, and now, our first big but. Acts chapter 10, verse 28. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile, but... God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Now it is hard to overestimate the size of this butt. Okay, who said it? Why is this a big deal? What's the point? Now we're gonna, we're gonna Quentin Tarantino this. Okay, we're gonna start at the end and then build back up to why this butt is so important. A while back I was driving at night and things weren't as clear as they kind of used to be. Is It's like I'm used to. And something's off. And so I kind of start to squint a bit as I'm driving. And I, I begin to think, this is me. Uh, something has happened. Uh, both my parents have glasses. Maybe, you know, it's my time too. You know, I've already lost my hair. I might as well lose my vision as well. And so... Uh, I'm a little bit upset, I'm bothered. I pull into a gas station, I start pumping gas and I have a guy come up to me and he goes, hey, excuse me, sir, and it's a little bit later at night and so I didn't know what he was gonna do or say and he said, "Uh, did you know you have a front headlight out? And I was like, I do? I do, yes, I'm not blind, I'm not blind, thank you, sir, thank you, sir, I'm not blind. He probably called the cops on me immediately after that. Uh, Sometimes we have blind spots that we don't even know are there. And sometimes we need someone else to point that out. And other times we need God to point that out. And this is what happens with the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 10. And one of the things I love about the Bible is that it's so honest. It doesn't uh, gloss over the flaws of the heroes, of the main characters. The Apostle Peter has this one blind spot and God is about to expose it. Acts chapter 10 through 11.8 is the longest single narrative in the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is just a, a, an entire book of narratives, okay? And this is the principle of proportion, okay? This is an important story. Peter was prejudiced. This was a blind spot for him. He was raised this way. He was raised with the Jewish mindset. And in the Jewish mindset, there were three groups of people. There were the Jews, okay? Any Israelite, um, You could not become a Jew by any other way than through birth. Then there were, uh, number two, proselytes. These were non-Jews who converted to the Jewish faith through the initiation of certain ceremonies like baptism and circumcision. And then three, it was everyone else. They were the bad guys. They were not initiated into the Jewish religion. They were Gentiles. This was the Jewish worldview. And in many ways, it was the worldview of the Old Testament. And over time, the Jews developed this exclusivity-superiority complex. This happens often within religion. We're God's chosen people. Nobody else is. Nan-na, boo-boo, stick your head in doo-doo. So the Jews, they don't really associate with the Gentiles, the bad guys. Peter was prejudiced. He didn't choose the prejudice, it chose him. He grew up this way, it was part of the regime he was from, he was from the South, it's the way it's always been. Whatever excuse you want to give him, he had. But does that make it okay? No, no, the correct answer is no, it doesn't make it okay. But God is about to change Peter's worldview in a drastic way and he's gonna use a huge butt to do it. Our story starts in Caesarea, a coastal city says this in Acts chapter 10, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So an angel shows up To this Roman centurion, a Gentile, a bad guy. He's not Jewish, he's not a convert, he's not a proselyte. To Peter, he's one of the bad ones. A centurion was a middle officer in the Roman army and he commanded up to 600 Roman soldiers. And this particular centurion is stationed in Caesarea, a coastal port city, and it's a particularly nice posting in the ancient Roman empire. It was right on the coast, it was, it was nice, it was a beautiful area. So he seems to be favored. And then the angel says that this man's gifts to the poor and his prayers were a memorial offering unto God. This is so radical. it says so much. Here's a guy who doesn't believe the right things, but he does a lot of the right things and God receives that as an offering. That is a radical statement in the first century Jewish world. Then the angel tells Cornelius to send his men to fetch Peter, who is in Joppa. Meanwhile, Peter is staying at Simon the Tanner's house in Joppa. It's about lunchtime. Peter goes to the roof to pray. He became hungry, and the Bible says he fell into a trance. Perhaps he fell asleep. Perhaps it was a dream or a vision. But he saw, according to Acts 10, heaven opened up in something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. What a bizarre vision. The voice says kill and eat and Peter says no way. Jewish law explicitly states that I'm not supposed to eat those kinds of animals. So there's no way that Peter can obey the commands of the Old Testament and also obey this voice coming from God. So Peter concludes that this must be a test. God is testing his resolve, his knowledge of the scriptures. So Peter says, surely not. And it's very emphatic in the Greek language. It's equivalent would, would be, no way, Jose, Okay. Not a chance, Vance. I've never eaten those bad things in my life, and I'm certainly not going to start now. Nice try. I'm not falling for that one. Those animals are unclean. And then the voice says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happens three times. Not because Peter was stubborn, uh, but it was because It was so deeply ingrained into the Jewish worldview of what it means to be holy. I don't eat unclean things, and I don't eat with unclean people. Three times, Peter says, no way, Jose. Peter was given clear lines, black and white, right and wrong, in and out. And this vision wasn't black and white at all. It was gray. And just to be clear, this vision isn't about food, right? There is food in it, but it's not about food. It's about boundaries. It's about fences. It's about people. God is not trying to expand Peter's culinary habits, okay? Uh, He's trying to reveal his blind spots. He's trying to break down Peter's prejudice. With God, it's always about people, not law. It's not about what you can and can't eat. It's about people. And this is really difficult for Peter. It really messes him up. It messes with his worldview because the group of people that God seems to be moving him towards are the bad guys. He's been told his whole life about the bad things and the bad people outside of his Jewish faith. It is so ingrained into Peter that he feels that it's righteous to distance himself from them. It is not. He has a negative bias. That's, that's what happens in all of our lives. Negativity bias. We start with it. It's built in. It's been imprinted on the human race. Negativity bias is good for survival. We humans as a race have had this. We've always had it. Thousands and thousands of years. And in a way, it's necessary. Okay? For instance, uh, there's two kinds of mistakes. Okay? Picture yourself hearing a rustling of leaves, of branches, in the bushes just next to you. What is it? Well, I think it's a tiger. It's a tiger in the bushes. You scream, you holler, you tell everybody, run, there's a jungle cat in the bushes. But it was a mistake. It wasn't a tiger. It was just a friendly squirrel. Uh, Now, you made a mistake, and your mistake has consequences, and the consequences is your embarrassment. People make fun of you. The guy thought it was a jungle cat, but it was really just a squirrel. Oh my goodness, silly guy and we move on, right, because the consequence is small. But if you make the reverse mistake, you hear rustling in the bushes, you go to examine, you go, guys, it's just a squirrel. It's gotta be just a squirrel in there, and then a tiger jumps out and eats you. You have a different kind of consequence, right? You made another mistake, and it too has a consequence, your death, your demise. So over time, we have evolved, okay, with this negativity bias. We don't call it that. We say it's better safe than sorry. But what happens is, is we take this negativity bias that is built into us for survival and we apply it into too many areas of our lives. We use it on people. We incorporate it into our religion, and our religious views. I don't know you, you're from another tribe. Can I trust you? I doubt it, so I'm gonna shoot first and ask questions later. This is not the way of Jesus. This negativity bias says I will be skeptical of you because it's good for my survival, for my tribe's survival. Our negativity bias might be good for humans to survive, but it is not good for humans to thrive. For that, we need love. And with love, we overcome our negativity bias. Love moves us beyond survival to thrival. We lay our lives down and even risk our very lives for the sake of our enemy. In the vision of food, God is beginning to remove Peter's negativity bias. Does God need to reveal your blind spots as well? Or maybe you don't have a negativity bias. Okay? You are more, more mature than that. Okay? But if we're honest, here's how this plays out in our lives. And here's how the negativity bias can be sabotaging uh, aspects of our lives or the lives of others. Okay? Check out this graph. Uh, Negativity, negative thinking, leads to suspicion and judgment. Okay? I don't know that person. I don't trust that person. I know that that person isn't very fill in the blank. I wish they were more like fill in the blank. And you know what? People who are suspicious and judgmental, well, they're just not very pleasant to be around, and that creates relational distance. Now, two things will happen. You're pushing others away because of your negativity bias. You don't trust them, you judge them, but they'll push you away too, because actually they don't want to be around you, because you're suspicious. You have distance, you're negative thinking. And what will that do? Well, that will lead to confirmation and reinforcement. See, I knew it, they can't be trusted. They're standoffish, they're a bad person. And all of this just confirms our negative thinking and the cycle continues and continues. We're not being the, the loving people that God has called us to be. We're reinforcing an endless cycle that love wants to eradicate. Jesus calls us out of negative thinking and moves us into love and this is something that Christians over the centuries have not been particularly great at. Have you ever known someone, a friend of yours, they start going to a certain church and all of a sudden There's no time for their old friends. The only friends they have attend the same church. And it seems like their whole life revolves around the church. Now, I'm saying this as a pastor of a church, okay? Our lives should never revolve around the church. Our lives should revolve around Jesus. And Jesus was all about hanging out with people who didn't go to church. There is a danger in coming to church. The danger is... That you begin to feel like you're in, which inevitably means they're out. And we begin to categorize people. Sometimes we do this on our own, like like kind of a spiritual snobbery. And sometimes this is modeled and encouraged by church leadership. It's modeled from the pulpit. Pastor gets on the stage and he rails about how good we are and how bad they are uses chapter and verse to describe how wrong they are and how right we are. And the church grows larger and larger because there is comfort and security in being right. There's comfort in being safe. And so the cycle begins again and again. As we distance ourselves from the world we're called to love, suspicion creeps in. Our negativity bias is confirmed. And we create more distance, and the cycle that love wants to get rid of continues on and on. We go to this church, we slowly cut out relationships with people who don't go to this church. We're told every Sunday how right we are and how wrong they are, we begin to see others through a suspicious lens. We begin to see people as distractions to be ignored or enemies to be defeated. Jesus calls us to reject it and to treat them as people we are called to love. Neighbors, So Peter is up on this roof. He's getting this vision about all these weird kind of animals. Kill and eat. Not a chance, Vance. And then all of a sudden the doorbell rings. And who's there? Well, it's the servants of Cornelius, the Roman Centurion, the pagan, the Gentile. Verse 19, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them for I have sent them. As a Jew, you couldn't even eat with a Gentile. And now three Gentiles are knocking on Peter's door. That's how it works with religion. These laws against certain foods eventually became laws against certain people. Peter was just trying to be faithful to the law. What law? Is there a verse in the Bible that says, don't sit or visit homes of people who are not Jewish? No, no. Rather, the the biblical principle is, it, it warns of being led into idolatry by people of other nations. So not eating with Gentiles was this fence around the law. Based on the better, safe, than sorry principle, these fences were designed to ensure that people stayed within the bounds. In order to break a law and fall into sin, a person would first have to intentionally hop the fence of tradition. Fences are fine for cattle, but sheep need a shepherd. The moment you take a caution sign in the Bible and you make it a stop sign, you become a legalist. Fences don't just keep people in, they keep people out. Perhaps God too has begun to break down some of the religious rules in your own life and in your own worldview. Perhaps you will meet someone that you were always taught was one of the bad guys. You will meet someone who is one of them. You can reject them in your life because they threaten how you see the world or perhaps Just maybe, it is three men from Caesarea, sent by God, to open up your world. How you look at people will determine how you love people. When we look at people the wrong way, it is really hard to love them the right way. How do you look at people? As enemies to be overcome, to be defeated, as people to distance ourselves from, or as people to love, made in the image of God. It shapes how we live, it shapes our world. And God's moving Peter into a bigger world, a better world. Okay, so in the first century, it's now become unlawful for Jews to eat with Gentiles. And now Peter is invited to the house of Cornelius, an unclean Gentile, not only that, a Roman soldier, one of the bad guys. And the next day Peter goes with these Gentiles to the house of Cornelius, the Roman centurion, and Peter knows something's going to go down, okay? It is on like Donkey Kong. Something crazy is going to happen because in Acts 11, we find out that Peter brings six friends with him, six Jewish Christians, which meant that he brought three times the witness requirement. A witness can only be established by two or three witnesses. Peter brings six Jewish Christians with him. He really wants to double check. I think God's gonna do something. I think this is going to need to be corroborated. People aren't going to believe this. God is up to something, and I'm going to have to give an account, so I'm bringing witnesses. People are gonna have a hard time believing it. I need more. Jewish Christians are gonna be shocked at the religious walls that are breaking down. And once he enters this house, this, there's this large group of Gentiles, bad people, inside, and Peter tells everyone about this giant butt. He says, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit with a Gentile. Here it comes. Are you ready for it? Let's build it up again. You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or even visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. That was a massive butt right there. Did you see the size of that butt? It was like, oh my gosh, Becky. That butt is ginormous. I have been taught my whole life, Peter says, that it is about the insiders, that it is about obeying the letter of the law, that it is about building a fence around the law so that I don't break it. It is about us versus them. But God has shown me that the lines I've always been taught should be erased in Jesus' name. That the good news of Jesus is not for a closed in-group, but it is for everybody. That God will always be bigger than my tribe that tries to contain him. That, That the church is a hospital for the sick, for everyone with open doors, not a country club for the well. In a few short sentences, this brash disciple from Galilee, now a respected apostle from Jerusalem, would sweep away centuries of religious prejudice. And because of this story, the message of Jesus went beyond Jewish walls. It was poured out unto all the world. No longer was Jesus the Lord of the Jewish nation. He was the Lord of all nations. And unless you yourself have Jewish heritage, you have Acts chapter 10 and this breaking down of walls to thank for you being able to follow Jesus that the gospel expands beyond a Jewish faith and into Gentiles, you, me, Roman centurions named Cornelius, the neighbor across the street from you, the parent of your kid's friend at school, the person you're sitting next to. You would not be a Christian today without God breaking down the walls that religion constructed. Jesus is always breaking down our religious walls to lead us to love people. May it be so for you this week and beyond. God, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, that you move us out of the religious walls that we build up, that we isolate ourselves from people we're called to love. So God, break down these walls in Jesus' name. Move us. God, we thank you that Peter took that step. God, may we also take that step. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno for week one of the Big Butts of the Bible. We can't wait for next week. We hope you have an amazing week. Peace in Ukraine.